You know, I um, love, you know, love that phrase where it says this will be the best time of our life because I think actually our lives in God have got to be rich and satisfying like John 10 tells us that we are designed to love life and actually the way we love life is by doing life with God, that there is actually no better way to live. And I hope that comes out in what I uh, speak tonight because we're continuing on in a series called Abide. And for those of you that have been here, we started off with Dr. Ray Andrews, whose ministry is abiding life. He um, goes, travels around the world teaching people how to abide in Christ. We've had the privilege of hearing him on the topic. We've heard Pastor Will. And for those of you that were here, you'll remember how he talked about we plug into the source, that that's how we truly get recharged. That's how we have anything to offer the world in terms of light and how we can connect others to him. We had Pastor Desiree last week who... um, taught us, among other things, about how it's the two Ds. We need to depend on God, and we need to discipline ourselves. And we can't have one without the other, that we have to depend on Him, but also we have to discipline ourselves to make room for Him as well. And um, then this morning, for those of you who are here, Pastor Sam again unpacked the Word in such a phenomenal way and taught us what it really means to abide in God and how we have to lay hold of Him as He's already laid hold of us. And so I get the privilege of continuing on and bringing another element of what it means to abide. To be honest, I think we could spend the rest of our life here on earth unpacking abiding because it really is living for God and living with God. Um, but So hopefully this will bring something new. I know it will. And um, hopefully it will challenge you like it has challenged me. What I want to look at tonight is I want to look at the awe-inspiring thought that God actually abides in us. Not only are we called to abide in Him, but that He abides in us. And the fact is that abide, as you've heard, is to remain, to endure, to continue in. That's what abiding means. And that means that God remains in us. He continues in us. He endures in us, no matter what, no matter what we're doing. And in the real us, not in the mask you wear, Not in the role you play, but in the unfiltered, raw, unclean, messy you, messy me, God abides. Wow. The creator of the universe abides in me, no matter what's going on. And I think sometimes we're robbed of that truth by the way we read scriptures, not by the scriptures, but by the way we read them or by the way way we imagine what time of God is. When I think of time with God, I get an image like the one that the team are going to put up. And this is what you get when you Google time with God or Christian life amongst awe-inspiring quotes. You get a picture of amazing scenery and someone sitting undistracted, peaceful, in God's presence, or with their arms raised in worship to Him. And don't get me wrong, Some of my favorite moments with God and favorite memories of my time with God are and will continue to be moments like this, where I'm able just to stop in His presence, when I'm overwhelmed with what He has created, when I can hear from Him without distraction. And just like, for those of you who know, my husband and I, um, Jake on the front row, we, we need to have date nights. We need to have time alone. We, you know, and some of my favorite memories from our marriage are those moments when we haven't got the distraction of the kids around. But equally so, I've got memories of just being in conversation and then just bursting into laughter over an unplanned joke, whether it was something we said or something the kids said. 
I've got memories of looking on our newborn kids and just marveling at what God had created together. And I've got memories that are special to me, might not be so special to him, but where, of where I've been grumpy and he's loved me anyway. Or I've been stressed, or grumpy and stressed, and he's still continued to love me. And to me, that's just as special as the date nights that we have. And what I want to challenge tonight is that mindset that the only time we abide with God is when we're in an undistracted, peaceful, blissful moment. Rather than that actually God abides with us in everything we do, in our daily life, and the mundane as much as the, the monumental. And it's the same like just with Jake and I, if it was only the date nights that we had that made up our marriage, then all we'd be doing is creating movie scenes or creating a highlights reel. We wouldn't actually be living together. We'd just be accommodating each other when our schedules are allowed when they're allowed for that undistracted time. And who knows who's got children with three young children, that would be pretty few and far between, that we would have undistracted time together. And yet actually to be married, we are to live together and do life together, including the mundane. And just as much with our relationship with God. The moments of phenomenal worship, of quiet times, whether they're blissful in creation or at home on your own, are really, really important but so too is involving God in the mundane, in the everyday life. You see, I can be doing the dishes at home, and Jake and I could be doing the dishes side by side. And it's whether I engage with him determines whether really we're doing it together. So I can come along and I can do my part and not say a word, not even acknowledge him. Or we can have a conversation while we're doing dishes, Or sometimes as it happens with the loudness of three kids, we can just see an interaction happen, whether Josh is kind to Chloe or Daniel makes her giggle, and we can look at each other, and we don't have to say anything, but we can acknowledge that something really special has just happened. It's the same with us and God. In our everyday life, we might be able to chat with him. We might be able to pray while we're doing something, or we might just have an awareness that he's with us, just like sometimes how Jake and I exchange that look. No word is said, but we've acknowledged we're in this together. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, that God is with us, and it just takes us to be aware of his presence, aware that he's abiding with us, to actually be doing it together, to be abiding in him. And so um, what I want to do is I want to first look at... um, John 15, 4, because I want to challenge the mindset, as I say, that we need to retreat from life to abide in God. That, as I say, we do need the undistracted time, but it says in John 15, 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. Now, this is the New Living Translation version, and I think sometimes we think it's conditional. We think that God doesn't abide in us or remain in us unless we've first remained in him. But it's not conditional. If you look at the three next version that's come up, remain in me as I also remain in you. Abide in me and I in you. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. Can you see that and isn't I'll do it if you abide in me. It's I'm already there. Do the same. It's like as I say, Jake and I doing the dishes together. Jake's there doing the dishes Am I going to come and do them with him? Am I going to be abiding? Am I going to engage in that relationship? Or am I going to do it alone? So know that it's not about us earning his presence. 
It's not about us needing to have strived or have attained things or had our quiet time for us, him to be in the mundane with us. But it's more actually about us being aware of his presence, about us through faith and humility acknowledging him. He's actually a lot more comfortable with our humanity than we realise. Well, than I realise, to give you guys a bit more credit. I think the fact he came to earth and dwelt as a human, he lived as a human, shows us there's no length he won't go to to be able to abide in us. Will we abide in him? His promise before he left was that he would send, Jesus' promise that is, is that he would send his Holy Spirit so that he could dwell with us in our humanity wherever we are. You see, if Jesus hadn't gone and sent his spirit, he would be confined to that one human body. And therefore, people would have had to flock to wherever he was. But yet he said, it's better that I go, that I can send my spirit, that he might dwell in you. And that means he can dwell wherever we are. And so if we look at John 14, verses um, 16 to 17a, it talks, And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth. You see, he's promised before we did anything, before we accepted him, that he was going to send this Holy Spirit who would abide with us, who would be available to us forever. If we look at that phrase abide in a few other translations, it says we'll be with you forever. We'll never leave you. You will always have someone with you. Again, it's, it's a promise. It's, it's who God is. He has made that way. And we can't do anything to earn or deserve it. We just need to become aware of his presence and through faith and humility engage. Recognize him in our world, even by a knowing look sometimes or a knowing breath of going, God, you're with me, an internal thought. And so really that's what I want to unpack tonight, that God abides with us. And I want to do that through three images of our relationship with God that we get through the Gospels. Now, these three relationships are not the only ones that we see in the Gospels. It's rich with metaphors, with parables, with stories that help us to understand who God is for us, how he relates to us, what it means to follow him. But tonight, I just want to look at three. I want to look at the first one, and that's the foundation. And if you can bring the next picture up. This is the section next to our house. When we bought our house, it was a hill, and that's why it was still a section for sale. Because as I learnt uh, talking to people, it really takes a lot more work to build on a steep section because there's a whole lot of excavation that has to happen first. And because our um, kitchen dining window looks out, like this is a picture taken from it, over the section, we've been able to watch the construction unfold over probably the last nine months from start to end. The amount of time and effort that it took to flatten that piece out, and then if you can see the retaining wall towards the, this side of the picture, the left-hand side, that took hours and hours of work, of digging, of drilling, of them putting concrete and things in. And then they couldn't just put a concrete slab down, they had to drill into the ground and make like a concrete bridge, Pastor Will explain it to me from his building days, but a concrete bridge underneath to hold the house securely so it wouldn't slip away. And then the step after this is they then put the concrete slab on to build upon. Now occasionally the people that bought the section would come over and look at the progress at this stage, occasionally. But they could really see a lot of it from the road. They didn't spend long when they were looking. But then if you see the next slide that comes up, um, and you'll notice that this is, it's nearly completed. They're starting to, they're, at the moment, they're working on the driveway. 
now we start to see them bring family and friends to look around because people can start to see and shape the shape of what's happening. They can start to imagine what their home is going to look like and it's just really the finishing touches to go. But without the months of work on that foundation, this house could just drop away. And so that's what I want to say. God abides in us and is available to us. He's our foundation and that brings us stability. He is our stability. He's the stability of our life. You see, his foundation is there for us to build upon should we choose to. He's, he's already prepared. He's already laid that foundation. We've just got to build, choose to build upon that rather than trying to create our own. Matthew seven twenty four to 25 says this, and I think it'll come up great. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is, like, is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds, winds, not the winds, the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on rock. What Jesus is saying is those that build upon him, upon his foundation, they will withstand the storm. He doesn't promise us that the storms won't come, but he promises that if we've built on his foundation that we will withstand them. And when I started thinking about the word abide, and that we abide, we live in houses, we remain and we continue in, I started to think about the fact that God is in our life, and he's actually the stability of our life. If I can have that next picture up. Now, I started to think about a house. It's not that you just build that house. The people next to us, they're not building it just so that it, there's a house, and at the end of time, they can go, we worked hard, we got all those people involved to have this building. They build it because they've got a vision in mind of living there of enjoying one another's company, of having family over, of doing life together. And that's why I say that God is interested in being a part of our life. He's interested in those moments around the dinner table. He's interested in those games that you're playing. He's interested in the tricky conversations that you're having with teenagers or with little kids who are trying to understand why they, my son, why he has to get dressed and have breakfast every morning. The big issues of life. God is with me when we're talking about why he has to get dressed today because um, he's a human. But anyway, um, you know, God is actually wants to be a part of our life. He wants to be the foundation of our life. And when we look at 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 17, it says this, but as for you, continue in. Now remember, abide, remain in, endure, continue in. This continue in is the same word for abiding. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know that those, sorry, you know those from whom you learned it. In other words, he was reminding Timothy that he'd learnt it from people who were applying it, who were living it, who were, their life was founded upon it. And how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What was Timothy to continue in? He was continuing in what he'd learned through the scriptures. The scriptures are our stability. They are, our, they are what provide us a rock in which how to live. They teach us about how to have relationships, to how to manage our finances, how to make wise decisions. It is a source we can go back to. It's why as the Quivers Church, part of our DNA is to honour the word of God 
and we honour our need for him in his presence, but we acknowledge how much the Bible has to offer us and that it's not just about us knowing it and academically being able to sit down and tell you all about the Bible, but it's about living it. It's about it being the foundation of our life, the stability of our life. And so my first point really is this, that God abides in us. He provides us stability. He provides us a stability for our life. My second comes from the picture of the vine. And I want to read the scripture um, first, which comes from John 15. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Or as Pastor Sam pointed out, no thing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown up and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned because the fruit from them is rotten. It's not good. If we skip forward to verse 16 for those that are following in their Bibles, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Now, Pastor Sam did an amazing job of unpacking this, and I encourage you to listen to what he spoke this morning. But just as a bit of a refresher, if we have the next picture up, where it talks, where you see the vine there, really what enables the fruit to be born is the strength of the vine. It's the in fact the vine is the source. What he said is the fruit in our lives is you've got to look back to what the root of it is. Where is the root of the fruit that we've got in our lives? Is it coming from a good place? Is it coming from the source? Is it coming from God? And actually, we can't carry the fruit that we're meant to bear in our life unless we're attached to the source or attached to God, unless we're abiding in Him. He is the source of everything that we produce in our life. We can do nothing, no thing without Him. But too often, if the next slide comes up, we look at the fruit You can go, and when you've got a really abundant harvest, you can go and you can't actually even see the vine because there are so many ripe grapes hanging off it. We used to have a vine when I grew up that went across our back fence, and there was so much fruit that we just couldn't keep up. Even the dog, our Labrador, because Labradors eat everything, would eat the bottom part until as far as she could reach, and we still couldn't manage to get rid of the bits on the top. And you couldn't see the vine because it was just this mass of leaves and grapes. But the reality is without the vine, there would have been no fruit. We've got to be really careful because people see the fruit in our lives and they can commend us for that. And there is nothing wrong with that in the sense that there's, you don't have to in every situation say, oh, it's all God. You know, people can acknowledge the, that you've done a good work as long as, you know, ultimately if they question you that the glory goes back to God. Because without him, you can do no thing. And we've got to remain in that humble attitude rather than focusing on the fruit, focusing on the, um, the results of the effort that we put in, focusing on our production. And so when I say that, you know, God is our stability, he's our foundation. 
and that's because he wants to abide in our life. When I look at the vine and the fact that God is our source, I think again, he wants to abide in our work. So if we pull up the next picture... Now, I know that some of you work outside, some of you work in your home raising children, some of you are working by studying really hard so that you can go on to do different jobs. But when we look at this picture, there's no um, sort of question. These people are working. They're not just um, having a cup of coffee, chatting. They look like they're intent, they're serious, they're in their work. It's really easy to separate our Christian walk from our work life, but it's not the way it was meant to be. Actually, we are more efficient, we're more productive, and we're more inspired when we're actually abiding in God. I don't think it's any coincidence that some of the greatest innovators, greatest scientists, greatest musicians, greatest contributors to society have been Christians. Not all of them have, but the great majority of people have been those that follow God. We have a bit of an advantage. We're connected to the creator of the universe, the one that that created this world, that created the blueprint, that knows how our world works, knows how people work better than we do. We have the ability to get divine revelation and to get divine efficiency. And we're supposed to do what we're called to do from him as our source. It, does, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, of a life in God, but it's also the fruit of that we will have fruit that lasts, that we will impact people, we will impact nations through what we do. And as you'll know, that many of you will be in what the work of your hands do, where he's placed you. For the relationships you have and the interactions with clients or your classmates, but also through even what you achieve in it with the physical work of your hands. It does have an impact. And, and when it's done in God, it has an impact at last. So we need to challenge, and I think we need to challenge it from this place. Too often I hear people almost discredit what they do if they're not working in church-related work. And I even hate that word, because who is the church? We are the church. The people are the church. This is not church. This is where we come together to celebrate. But often people have the mentality that what I do, perhaps in speaking or in in getting to meet up with someone and pastor them through something one-on-one, is more significant than what Jacob, my husband, does in the dental chair. That's a lie. All we are required to do is follow God and follow his calling and walk with him and work with him. When we acknowledge that he is the source of everything we do, whether it be in something that's got um, in a faith-based thing, like from, say, like say today, or whether it's when you're fixing someone's tooth, the, the key is whether we're abiding in Christ and we're outworking what he's asked of us. And so I think you've um, remember to challenge people when you hear that concept that what they do is not significant because that's just a lie from the enemy that robs them of their destiny, robs them of having that as the source and robs them of being able to really make the impact that God has called them to be because he is abiding in them as they go into work. He's abiding in me as I'm at home with my kids just as much as he is now and he wants to be with me in that. And the only way I'll bear that fruit that lasts is by having him as my source. So the first point was that he's our stability. He's our foundation. He wants to be involved in every part of our life. The second is that he is our source, as the vine, and he wants to be involved in our work, the work of our hands. And the third point is that he is the picture of the yoke. Again, um, for those of you that have heard it, Pastor Will, if we can have that picture up, 
Um, a yoke is what the wooden part that's around these two um, oxen or cows, and it's what connects them together. And what it means is that as they push forward, if they're towing something behind them, the combined strength of the two animals is able to act upon the thing that they're pushing forward. And so they're stronger than if they're apart. And it's the yoke that connects them and enables that. Pastor Will um, preached an amazing sermon last year about, about this, about how God is, when it talks about pick up being yoked to God, it's actually about coming alongside that he goes with us wherever we go and and that he provides the strength to be able to enable us to do what he's asked of us. And I think that's the last thing. The third point is that he's our strength. He's our strength. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, it says this. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I have to be honest that it wasn't until probably about maybe two years ago, not even that, probably between a year and 18 months ago that I really understood the scripture. I, for a long time I expected that one day God was just going to take everything away And I was going to find myself perhaps in Fiji, on a beach, with nothing to do, nothing on my to-do list, nobody harassing me. In fact, if there was anybody around, they would be there to pamper me, to enable me to have this amazing rest. Basically, I was expecting to escape, to be able to be withdrawn from all that was going on in my life and to to find a peace in being able to do that. But what I've come to realise is that that's not what the Scripture is talking about That's not the rest that God promises us. And what we can can do, God has a rest for us in our work. Because you see, the reality is after a couple of days knowing my nature, a couple of days in Fiji, I must admit probably the first couple of days lying on a beach or wherever it was, just if I'd escaped all responsibility, initially I'd be like, this is lovely. And I would really enjoy it. But I can guarantee you after a couple of days I'd be bored Why? Because there's no purpose. What I was expecting is God to remove me from all responsibility and all purpose and to leave me in a land of nothingness. And whilst when you're busy and you feel pressured, that can seem desirable, actually, if you think about what you truly value and what you want to, at the end of your life, what you want people to say about you, that's not desirable. That's not what you really want, even if it feels like it at the time. And so what I've come to realize is that we have to be careful. If we come up with Isaiah 28, um, 12 to 13, it says this, it says, it's talking about um, how... Israel, the land of Israel for the Israelites had been their place of rest. It had been God's promised land. And it says, this is the resting place. Let the weary rest. And this is the place of repose. This is what God had said to the Israelites. But they would not listen. So then the word of the Lord to them, the promise of God to them became, do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that, a little here, a little there. When we don't recognize that God is with us, in our life, in our work, and all that he's asked of us. When we don't realize he's there, the promise, what he's doing, his promises, suddenly they become do and do and do and do. The promise and the rest that he has given to us, if we don't take that rest in the way he's fashioned it, become work, becomes more and more do, and his promises turn into a burden. And that's a scary thought. 
What helped me to realise what the scripture really means, and actually I'll get the team to come back up, is when I looked at it in the message version. The message version says this, it says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The rest that this is talking about is the rest like when you have a lunch break in a workday and you have food and you sit down for a bit and it refreshes you so that you can keep going and you can keep working. When you look at the root of that word rest, that's the kind of rest it means. It means to refresh you for the task at hand. And it's not because work is what God's all about. It's not that he's a slave driver wanting us to work and work and work. It's that he has a purpose and a calling for us. But in that purpose and calling, there are plenty of rests. He doesn't expect it to be something that overburdens us, that we collapse upon, that we cannot sustain and we cannot keep going. Actually, He walks with us and works with us. He comes alongside us and He says, come on, take my yoke. And what that means is, you know, when it says that um, in our weakness, He is strong, His grace means that when we can't keep going, He's got it. He comes behind like that picture of the second cow and He gives the strength to overcome. And that's another picture of what grace really is, where we haven't got what it takes to fulfill what He's asked of us, to fulfill our call, to fulfill our purpose. He covers that. He takes it. And that's why He won't put anything ill-fitting on us. The picture I had, I used to have of, of escaping was like, I thought that I took my burdens and I just left them at the foot of the cross and then I walked away and that they were gone forever. But what I couldn't reconcile is that's not what life's like. I would try that. I'd be concerned about someone and I'd say, God, I give you this burden and I expect to walk away and just not have that concern anymore. But my heart still bled for that person. Why? Because I was in their world for a reason. See, what it's saying is it's not saying give God your burden and just leave it and walk away. Escape from everything you've been called to. Escape from your purposes. What it's saying is, hey, come to me. I'll walk with you and work with you. I'm in this with you. It's not that we work it out and then we get to heaven and suddenly we're like, God's like, okay, tick list. Yep, you did all those jobs. It's like we get to heaven and He's been doing it with us all the way. And we've got to realise that actually God's in the mess when you think about oxen if the next slide comes up see all the mud that's around God's not afraid of getting his hands dirty he came and he became a human being to enable relationship with us that's how far he would go Proverbs 14 4 tells us where there are no oxen the manger is empty but from the strength of an ox come an abundant harvest our harvest is in the mess the messy situation, whether it be in the life of a friend you're helping or whether it's in your own life, whether it's messy in your finances or whether you've got it in a relationship that's a bit messy at the moment or whether you know that there's that person that you could reach out to and that you could help, but oh, I don't know if I can because I don't know how I'm going to have the strength to do it. If God's called you, He gives you the strength that you don't have yourself because He's in the mess. He's walking with you and He's working with you. And so my third point is this, is that God abides in us. He is our strength. And he's in the mess. 
So He's our stability, our source and our strength. He wants to be in, He abides in our life, He abides in our work and He abides in our mess. Our mess does not put God off. He is there. We've just got to become more aware of His presence. Because who we are is found in Him. It's not found in our circumstances. Our rest is found in Him. It's not found in our circumstances. He is our stability. He is our source and He is our strength. All of that, he's, it's abiding, it's ready. He's standing with us. He's in us. It's readily available to us. We've got to choose to abide in it, to become more aware of it. 